it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Well, you still were going to have a lot of fun these next two years as we start 1980 with that victory you mentioned at Desert Inn. And by the way, I probably spent more time in the casino there than I spent on the golf course, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, right. But so, two weeks later, what do you do? You go to the Dinah Shore and uh, win by two over Amy Alcott. I did. Did. And then Amy, I think, ended up winning it three times, didn't she? I think she I don't know. won it at least uh, three times. Yeah. Uh, the last being in 91, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about that round other than Amy and I were paired together and the eighth hole was a par three. They put the pin in the back left corner and she hit it on the green on the very far right. So she had to be 75, 80 feet away from the hole. But when she had to putt, she had to go over the fringe. So she probably, and it was thick fringe and then the rough line. So she decided she was going to chip it. And her caddy's name was Tom. And so we were all standing there. She was away, and she pulls out a wedge, and she goes up to the ball, and she's getting ready to hit it. And we're yelling at her, stop, stop, Amy. Well, she forgot to have Tom go hold the flag because somebody had to hold the flag. You're on the ground. Yeah. She was just trying to execute that shot. Yeah. I remember, and oh my gosh, she was so shaken because she realized how stupid that was. And she says, I was just thinking so much about my shot. But that's the one thing that I remember about that, that uh, actually the final round. And then it always would blow the tournament at least one or two days out of the whole week. And because it's always in March and Palm Springs is known for their winds in March, the wind blowing in there's this sixth hole, and normally I would hit driver the green, and I had to hit driver three with dead into it, and I knocked it on the green over a hazard, and I thought that's what won the golf tournament for me because um, if I hadn't hit that well, no telling where the ball would have gone because it was blowing so hard. Yeah, well, your 13 under that week was a scoring record at the time. Of course, it's since been broken, but... Uh... Uh, so this is 1980 at the Dinah Shore. It became a major three years later. And uh, the, the lady you beat by two, Amy Alcott, won that first one as a major in 1983. It wasn't, though, until her second win uh, there, which came in the Dinah Shore as a major in 1988, that she uh, made the old jumping into Poppy's Pond famous. Yeah. The, everybody is asked to jump in. I said, no, but happened the next year. Thank God that Amy didn't do that. She started it. But the one thing that I did, um, do you remember, you might not remember this, there's a, a baseball player who played for the Dodgers, George Culver was his name. And uh. he played for Houston, played for Cincinnati. Anyway, I had this humongous putt on the 18th hole. It must have been 120 feet. And again, it was windy and just getting on the green in three over the hazard that was in front of the green was a feat itself. I'm so far away, the wind blowing so hard, and I went to putt it, and I only got halfway because the wind blew me offline, uh, off out of balance. And now I get over that putt, line it up, and I'm still 25 feet away, and I make it. <laughs> and I, 
and I take a my club made it look like a machine gun and I like blew that hill away. <laughs> when I won the tournament, so which I think that was on a Saturday. So Sunday when I won, I picked up my golf ball and I went to throw it in the hazard and it flipped off my fingernails and it landed on the green. <laughs> so George called me and said, <laughs> leave throwing to me. You just play golf. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't, the ball didn't go 10 feet. <laughs> And I thought I remember you saying you were throwing the football around with the guys as a kid. Yeah, right. When I was young. Yeah. Well, uh, you weren't done winning in 1980. Uh, Bruce, a few more victories uh, come out of that after that uh, dinosaur. Yeah, the next victory, Corning Classic. Uh, uh, beat uh, Myra Blackwelder by two shots. Yep. Um, that was a great event because it, it was in a very small town. A lot of people came out. The town of Corning is where Corningware products are. Sure, made. yeah. Yeah. Uh, last fact, beautiful. But everybody in town would decorate their welcoming LPGA their their all the storefronts. Mm. We would go and judge. We thought it was the best one. Oh. It was a, it was a great tournament. Some of the best tournaments that we had on tour were in the small markets, yeah. and I'm sure the test this. They were the Everybody came out, you know. Yeah. So the next one you win was uh, United Virginia Bank Classic, and you beat a pretty good player there by four shots, Nancy Lopez. I did. And uh, the funny thing about that one is that we were rooming together that Oh, interesting. Ah. I had this huge lead, and uh, she says, well, I'm coming after you. I said, okay, you think you can beat me, right? So – I'm looking up at the leaderboard, and she's making all these birdies. And I'm going, oh, no. She's <laughs> about trying to catch me. So uh, and Nancy and I, and Ted, my husband, and I, and Nancy, her husband, Ed, we do a lot of traveling together. Uh, no golf clubs. We just go on cruises. We've been everywhere. We just, we've been having a blast the last six or seven years. It's been yeah, fun. That's great. Yeah. And then to finish off 80, you win uh, ERA Real Estate Classic at uh, Brookridge Country Club in Kansas. Oh, Kansas City, yeah. The only thing I can remember that hole is that the 18th hole, second shot, was straight uphill. And I would always run up that hill so that when I would get to the green, I'd have time to catch my breath. Because if you walk up really slow and you're just panting and panting, <laughs> That's the only thing I can remember about that tournament is the 18th hole. <laughs> that was your yeah, that was back to back. So you won the you know you won the United Virginia the week before, and then the ERA uh, the, that next week. So uh, you get into 1981, and what a year that is! Six wins. You were the Golf Writers uh, uh, Women's Player of the Year that year. Uh, but it was sort of a transformational year for you personally, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when I was going through my divorce. And- Mother was ill, and then there was just a lot of stuff going on. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to handle it all, but, you know, I did. And then there was a point where I just didn't want to play golf anymore. I, I really did. I didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't have a whole bunch of money. Um, because even though you were successful, you know, you weren't making a buck. Yeah. So, um, I still needed to... Um, get work some way. I did lots of corporate events. 
which was good. That that kept me going there too. And then I met my husband Ted around that same time. And then uh, Arnold Palmer came up to me and said, I understand you're doing some TV. And he said, how would you like to start working at the Golf Channel? And that's kind of where TV kind of fell into my lap. Um, I went to Paul Spangler, and who was the producer of ESPN. And I said, I'd like to do some TV. I don't know if I'm any good or not. He said, you don't have to pay me, but I'll fly in. You fly me in and you pay my expenses and let me just see if I can do anything. And uh, I did. I said, you're hired. And that's kind of where TV kind of fell in my lap. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pam and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about my albatross? Interesting. Well, let's, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just zip through your wins in 81 and, and get you to end of career, and then we're going to talk about broadcasting and, uh, and kind of the things you're up to now. We start in 1981, with your second win at the Pro-Am uh, at the Desert Inn. And this was by three over the lady that won the U.S. Open at LaGrange Country Club that year, Pat Bradley. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't realize, I didn't remember that she finished second. I don't yeah. remember much about uh, that tournament. Well, it was back-to-back wins there. And then uh, you went on to uh, win the American Defender which was by one over Kathy Shirk, and that was at Northridge Country Club in North Carolina. I have a story about that. I wasn't going to play. My husband at the time had to have surgery, and we had scheduled it on an off week of my schedule. And I got a call from the commissioner, and he said, is there any way that you could change your mind about playing this event? I said, no. Um, I've planned this for months because of the surgery. And we had a clause in LPGA contracts with tournaments that you had to have 10 out of the top 20, 20 out of the top 40 players on the money list. Well, a lot of girls were taking Bradley, uh, I'm not sure even Nancy, maybe Nancy, I don't remember how many of the players decided to skip that event, and I was one of the top players, and nobody else was going to come back and play the event. And that clause also said that if we didn't have enough players, according to that contract, they'd cut the purse by 50%. So 50% wouldn't get the girls out of town. That was just not enough money there. So I felt terrible. And I said, okay, let me talk to my husband about it. And, uh, the surgery may have been Tuesday, and Wednesday was going to be the pro-am, and then 
Thursday through Sunday. So I said, look, if I get you through the surgery, then I'll fly to Raleigh. I'll ask them to get me out of the pro-am, and then I'll participate in the event. And, uh, came, and I called the commissioner, and then I called the tournament director, and I said, look, I'll be there. I said, but my, I gave my caddy the week off. He was caddying. In fact, I don't know if he took the week off totally and went back home, or he was there caddying for another player. I said, number two, I won't play in the Pro-Am. I said, I'll be getting in the night before, so I need to get a, somebody to get me a caddy uh, of a, one of our regular caddies and uh, let him chart the golf course. For me. And I ended up, did, did talk to him, and I said, you know what we need. Just chart it and tell me where to hit it and where not to hit it. And I, and I ended up winning the tournament. How about that? Huh? <laughs> well, she had one more major in her, Bruce. Oh, boy. That was, again, we go back to the Jack Nicholas Golf Center, which you said you loved, and you win the 81 LPGA Championship there for your fourth major victory, or, as we might footnote, maybe that was the sixth one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my, my made six. Yeah. It was, uh, again, another situation where uh, I was just playing well, and putts, I was making putts from everywhere. I mean, I could... I could see him. Um, I could see the line. It was uh, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. But when you win a major, oh my goodness! You got to make some, don't you? you really yeah. do. Yeah. So you came to the 18th tee. All three of you. This being Gerald Britz, Pat Myers, Donna Capone, tied at seven under. Yes, and it was uh, par five. And we all drove it pretty down the fairway. And I can't remember if I laid up and then hit a wedge on the green. You guys would know more because you've been reading this stuff. I haven't thought about this stuff in 20 years. <laughs> the, I had a putt of about uh, maybe 8 feet, 10 feet. And uh, I made the putt for birdie. And Gerilyn Britz comes over to me and congratulates me. And no, maybe the putt was longer. Maybe she had an eight footer and I had about a 10 or 15 footer because she had to putt second. And she comes over and she shakes my hand and said, congratulations. I'm looking at her like, what? You know, I didn't say, you still have a chance to putt. And uh, she didn't make it and winning. So interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Have you ever had that happen before? (laughs) Not me. No, me either. So, Bruce, uh, as you know from our research, uh, Donna played an incredible 18-hole stretch of golf. So if you if you go from the, the second round back nine to the third round front nine, she shot 32, 31, 63 for those 18 holes. Yeah, how about that? Wow. Hey, you know, I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I would say so. One year, my dad made a, a, a plaque for me. His, his famous line was, not bad for a girl. Oh, no. Mm. still have hanging my trophy room. Not bad for <laughs> That's like uh, uh, 
uh, Hollis Stacy's mom after she won a junior tournament. She didn't want her to get too cocky. And uh, Bruce, you remember what she told her? Yeah. Go in and clean up your room. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley, <laughs> Shirley Temple. Temple. <laughs> yeah, Nellie is her name. She's a fabulous. She's still living. I think she's 90-something. She is great. Yeah, she oh, was on the great. USGA committee and, and quite yeah. involved. Yes. Yeah, wasn't she? And because I lost my parents so 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 early in their lives, 49 and 56, every Mother's Day, it seemed like Tilly would come on, on tour, and I'd always go and hug her on Mother's Day. Oh, that's day. nice. That's great. That's what get. So you had two more wins left in 81. Right, you win the Western Union International Classic at uh, Meadowbrook Golf Club in New York by two over Julie Stranger. Stranger, do you call it Stranger or Stranger? Uh, I don't. I actually know who it was. Yeah, it was Stanger, but Pine was Stanger. part of the name. Uh, oh, Stanger okay. Pine, Julie Stanger Pine. Okay. Yeah, that's either a married name or a man. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been what it was. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about. Of course, it was. Uh, in fact, I think the Champions Tour. Did you ever play there, Bruce? No, no, I never played there. No, they had a a Champions event. Yeah, not too long ago at that golf course. I don't. I don't remember too much about that. See, so if you think about it, there though, just not too long ago, uh, the man that's working with you today is eighty-five years old. So it would have to have been a long time ago for me to have played there. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely gorgeous uh, so to finish it off boston five classic uh and you you won that big over a uh a young lady from australia jan stevenson yes uh in fact that's where i met my husband ted who i'm with now said 41 years uh he was uh, a member at that club and uh yeah, in fact, if you look at this, the list of names of players that it won at that golf course, they're all in the hall and had very successful career. This golf course was not very long, but oh my God, you had to you had to hit every shot in your bag. Uh, it, it was it's called Ferncroft Country Club. Yeah, right. It's a absolute beauty. I've been really talking to the owners of the golf course. The golf pro trying to get a legends women's legends event there because oh that'd be good definitely go back to that event just a matter of finding a sponsor. One other thing, well that one other thing, uh, Donna, that week happened. Do you remember what it was? Did I that, No, that victory qualified you to be somebody who could get put in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Ladies Golf Hall of Fame, sorry. You qualified that week. That's right. Uh, you know, at the time, you didn't you didn't think about that uh, because the OPGA Hall of Fame was so difficult to get in that, you know, you just had to keep winning until you fell over and then say, okay, did I win enough? <laughs> yeah, did I win enough? <laughs> yeah, you- so then they changed the, those rules, uh- which was... You went in with a flourish because starting with the LPGA Championship three weeks in a row, it was win, win, win. Yeah. Well, I remember Carol Mann saying on TV when she was doing a broadcast, because um, I had said in an interview that 
maybe it was after five or six wins that would really like to work hard to possibly get in the hall. Being leading money winner wasn't anything that I really put myself, but being in the Hall of Fame, I just, it would be so proud. My dad would have been, parents would have been so proud. Absolutely. And uh, so that was something, but he said, you got to a lot more before you can get in the Hall of Fame. And I went, yeah. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. Uh, so take us through the decision to just start sort of winding down the professional golf side and maybe ramping up uh, something else. I think more than anything, I just got tired of the grind. I mean, it was it was a lot of work and it was great, but, you know, I, I stopped saying hello to people. I stopped being, not that I wasn't nice to people. I, I would avoid interviews. Um, I'd always make an excuse. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I, and I loved, like I said, I was voted as one of, they could always get something out of me. If they needed a, a story, but um, and I just decided I have to get away, and it would have been, and I promised myself when I joined the tour and my parents that if I didn't like it, if I wasn't having fun, that I was going to get out because there's too many players that just hang on and hang on. And yeah, keep on keep, and on and on. Yeah, and I just didn't want to do that, and I felt like I was young enough that I could get another job, and. So that's when I thought about television, and uh, the last event was uh, was in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. I can't remember the name of the golf. And I played pretty well because I knew it was going to be my last event. And I remember Sandra Palmer in the locker room saying, "You'll be back." And I said, "No, I won't." I said, "I've made this decision." I said, "I might play a couple events." A major here or there, but I am not coming back. She says, "Mark my word." In fact, you know, I saw her the other day. She owes me bucks because I think we. Ah, oh, there you go, reminder. <laughs> and I, I never went back. Other than I, I may have played the dime short, a couple of those special. And that's when I thought, you know what? I'll call Paul Spangler and see if there's any future in TV. And then. I'm sure you want to talk a little bit about the yeah. TV part. But, uh, I saw Arnold at a at an event, and he came up to me and said, uh, "I want you to call Joe Gibbs at this number." And I was one of the first uh, announcers hired. Keith Hershon, the producer, who is a good friend of Bruce and mine, and uh, yeah. actually today is his birthday. I got to send him a note. Yeah. And, uh, it it was the best. I I was so blessed. Bruce should probably say the same thing. To have two careers totally opposite, but still around a sport we loved. Yeah, it's, it's it was it was great. Well, I you here's something that you probably most of our you know we've I think as Mike said, sixty one people we've interviewed about. You know, their wonderful golf careers and how, how magnificent all of them have been playing this wonderful game. You fall into a category that most people would find unbelievable, and that is you're on the side of losing more than you won in playoffs. So we've Mike's kept a record of this. 
of all of the great players we've talked to, their winning percentage is less than 50%. It's about 43%. Isn't that amazing? All these great players. Remember Betsy Rawls? Yeah. Great, great player. She said, 90% of your career is a disappointment. (laughs) She's probably right. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot. Yeah. That you know, you're disappointed because you didn't win or you didn't play better or whatever. But that ten percent was worth it all. It was yeah. worth worth all those hours. Yeah, let's just uh, we'll wrap up your career quickly and then and then talk about uh, career number two. If you just look back on the majors, I, I, I assume the Dinah Shore were your best finish when it was a major. Anyway, I'll qualify that was in '85, the year uh, Alice Miller won. You you were T13, but was that one of your favorite events to go to? It was because it was televised. And, you know, we weren't getting, you have to remember, when I started the tour, we only had one or two televised events. That was it. And fortunate for me, I was successful on those events, so it helped name recognition. And we owed so much to David Foster, who was the chairman of, Colgate. Colgate Palmolive, yeah. Yeah. And uh, putting, paying for this event. And it it was, it was, it, it's our master. Yeah, yeah. And we're disappointed because we're, we're not going to be playing here. We're going to Houston. And uh, I don't know the name of the golf course. They may have said it, but it's Chevron is not a new sponsor. Right, yeah. Uh, you had a couple of uh, uh, close calls at the Demorier while it was a major from '79 to 2000. You you finished third to Pat Bradley in 1980 and third to Sandra Haney in '82, both at St. George's Golf and Country Club. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. It's it's so lovely. Uh, again, I don't remember a whole lot about that tournament, but um, I played a lot of tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> well, one year I. Played- 35 tournaments, every tournament on the schedule. Is that right? It's a lot. A lot of events. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you finished, uh, you know, when it was regularly running, the title holders, as I mentioned, through uh, 66 is sort of a regular major. Uh, that was your top 10 finish that year. And then the final year, the Western Open in 1967. Uh, uh, you played in that one, finished 21st. Uh, but again, that was really early in the career and really late. In uh, as a matter of fact, the last time the Western Open was a was a major. Uh, you also were were an assistant captain in uh, in the Solheim Cup in two thousand five. Tell us a little bit about that experience. That that was fabulous. Uh, Nancy was the captain. Yeah. Lopez she called me and says, "Would you be my assistant?" Like, oh my god, yeah! And it was the best time. Uh, in fact, I'm sure you've probably talked to Nancy already, but uh, that was a highlight of our career, you know, because I didn't play teams golf. You know? Yeah. And she did a little bit when she was at Tulsa, but most of the time individual sport. So having that atmosphere and the players and the whole whole thing was just fabulous. Yeah. Absolutely. And we won, which even made it better. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm sure you had plenty of common experiences with my co-host here as you got into your broadcasting career. As a matter of fact, you you both spent time at uh, some of the same places, maybe not at the same mm-hmm. time, but uh, um, you had a remarkable career in golf broadcasting. 
uh, as did Bruce. And uh, I'm going to ask you what uh, we've asked Bruce before. Uh, tell us about some of that early advice you would have gotten before you went on air for the first time. You know, I didn't get a whole lot of it. And, and I, I kept saying, you know, don't you guys have to educate me? on They said, no, because we want you to be natural. And I said, you sure don't want me to go to New York and go to broadcast school? <laughs> you know, because I wanted to do a good job. And it was going to be important for the LPGA to have me representing them. So I wanted to be in the best light. And uh, they said, no, just go and do. And the funniest thing, the first three or four, four broadcasts that I did, We'd finish, and I thought, wow, I had a really good show as far as I was concerned. You know, I had made some really good points, and I was on the ground, not in the booth at in the beginning of my career. And I've, I've done both, ground and, and booth. But So we finish up, and we come back, and then all of a sudden, everybody takes off. And I'm going, is anybody going to talk to me? They go, hey, Donna, see you tomorrow. Uh, we're going to dinner at such and such, uh, meet in the lobby at seven. Da, da, da. So the next week, it's the same thing. And I'm going, so I went to my producer, Keith Herschel, and I said, no, I, no, it was, um, who's our producer? I can't think of it. Anyway, and I said, uh, said, am I doing okay? And he says, yeah, you're doing great. Larry Cirillo. Do you remember Larry Cirillo? I do, yeah. I sure do. You're doing okay? He says, look. And I said, you know, when you play professional golf, you hit a good shot. Everybody claps. Hey, great shot and all this kind of stuff. In TV, they don't do that. They just say, all right, see you tomorrow. We'll see you at dinner and stuff. <laughs> I said, am I doing okay? It's when they talk <laughs> and they sit you down and say, you can't say this. You can't do that. That's when you have to worry. So yeah. then I figured out. I said, just do my job until somebody tells me differently. So Yeah. You know, uh, Bruce, we- We've talked to so many of our guests who have done a stint in, in TV. I mean, I think of Jerry Payton, Lee Trevino, and Andy North, and Baker Finch, and Curtis Strange, and and all of them, and you included, Bruce. It just sounded like you guys all just got thrown to the wolves. Yeah, I did get one piece of advice uh, from Don Olmeyer, uh, and he told me his advice to me was, just remember one thing, Bruce. The people sitting in their living room can see what's going on. Your job is to fill the space in that they don't know anything about. Conversations with players, uh, idiosyncrasies of their swing, uh, slow-mo, you know, whatever it might be. So he said, don't go tell them it's a pretty day and we're on the 15th hole because they already know that. (laughs) That was good advice, really. Yeah, um yeah. Uh, um, a announcer that used to be with uh, he always did Augusta can't think of his name he's retired he lives in Denver I can't come up with his name right this second he said to me I called him up actually and I said uh, what just quick advice because I wasn't going to see him at the next event and he said talk like you're talking to people sitting on the couch so it's basically the same thing Something they, and that prided myself. And I do these walk and talk. I walk and ask a player and um, questions like, you know, the it's like uh, Ben Crenshaw. Well, a lot of people don't know he's a great bird watcher. Yeah, he, he's famous for bird watching. 
and Hale Irwin was a great photographer. And so everybody knows that they're good golfers, but I'd say to, to either one of them, have you seen any great birds out there? Um, <laughs> do you take any pictures, Hale, of anything out there on the golf course? So, uh, yeah, I, that's what I like. I like telling a story about somebody that they don't know, things right. that they that's what we're doing with you today. You're telling your story that a lot of people have never heard parts of it ever before, and we thank you for doing that. That's great. Why don't you just give us top three highlights from your career? Looking back on all the great golf and golf events you witnessed, what really stands out for you? Tiger, tiger, tiger. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, when I worked on the PGA Tour, uh, on the ground, walking, uh, just watching such unbelievable golf. And, I mean, it's even amazing now what he's doing with that leg with, that we know that has a 50-50 chance of losing. But I, he had taken two weeks off, and we were at the Byron Nelson. I'll just never forget this. And he hadn't played at all during his two-week vacation, just had to get away. And so when he came back out, he was a little rusty. He finished bogey, double bogey, bogey. And Lance Barrow gets in my ear and says, go interview Tiger. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Not really something I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Do I didn't say it because, you know, the guys could get away. I couldn't get away with saying, I'm not doing that. You know, if one of the other guys on the ground did, would ask him. So anyway... Uh, I went up to Tiger, signed the scorecard. I said, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to do this, but they would like me to talk to you. And he said, which was so, so good about it. He says, I will only do it because it's you, because I know you're not going to throw me under the bus. <laughs> there you go. Because being a player, as Bruce it's so much easier to talk to these players because they know, you know, they, they know exactly that, you know, I know what it's like to have a, a three iron from a downhill lie to a back right pin placement. And you're a hooker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not literally. No. Figuratively. Yeah, figuratively. <laughs> so, um, anyway, and he was great. He said, okay, well, you know, you finished bogey, double bogey, bogey, but, you do have a lot of rust. Now, because you finished that way, what are you going to go work on the driving range? And the first thing out of his mouth was, good question. Because, again, I didn't throw him under the bus. Yeah. I am rusty. And, but I needed to get away. I needed to put the clubs away. And right now what I'm going to go work on, first thing I'm going to work on is getting lunch. Because if you've ever been around Tiger, he has a bottomless pit. That's all he wants to do is eat. <laughs> and so... Um, he said, I'm just going to work on getting my timing back. He says, because that's what happened at the end of the round. I, I just lost my lines. And mm. uh, and he says, I'll just work on that. So I think m the best times I had on the PGA Tour were just fabulous. The guys were so nice to me, and they treated me like they, I was their little sister. And then from that tour, the PGA Tour, the PGA powers to be said, would you – workforce on the champions tour and i said oh great that would be fabulous so i went over there and worked 
And that was really a lot of fun because these are players that you grew up with. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Lee and Dave and Arnold and and again, they they were abusive to me in the best of ways. Yeah. They they <laughs> and I loved being. Yeah. Was it hard to give that all up? Um. After twenty five years of doing TV and twenty five years, you know, like a couple of months here or there, um, what I missed was the friends and the friendships because all of a sudden you're home and you don't hear from anybody. And I still do keep up with my golf friends. Um, and then my husband had gotten sick and I would have had to give it up anyway because he, was, he had developed lung cancer. He had a melanoma lung and there would have been where I wouldn't have been able to go on the road. So yeah. it sort of came at the, the right time. So that's when I, I. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing your story. And uh, as we, as we wind down, uh, we typically like to ask our guests just uh, three questions. And I'm going to let my partner start. So Donna, if, when you were 19 or 20 and you would have known then what you know now, what would you have done differently? I don't think I'd do anything any different than what I did. Because when you and I played the tour, and I know you're just a couple of years older than I am, but when we played the tour, it was fun. And now it's big business. Yeah. It, you know, you have to have your trainer, sports psychologist, um, this and that. When we played, we just went out and played. And so I would not do anything any different than them. Would I like to make a lot more money? Absolutely. Who wouldn't? But yeah. thank God I was able to keep my corporate clients uh, for the longest time and still do a little bit of corporate work and still do speeches and tell stories about my life on the road. And um, and then a little bit that we made in television because you, you know unless you're uh, a big big name there wasn't a whole bunch to be made in television either. Yeah. Okay, we're going to give you one career mulligan. Where do you take it? A career mulligan. Ooh, boy. Um. Gosh. Does everybody else have a hard time with this? <laughs> we get different reactions to it. I can assure you of that, Donna. It, it's been all over the map in terms of the answers we get. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, they, they have to think a while to come up with, okay, and I'm stalling for you, by the way, but uh, is there one shot, you know, particularly in a major, but maybe to win a tournament that would have made the difference that you wanted, wanted to redo on? Um. Why am I having? Why am I just blanking out on this question? It's such a great question. Um, so maybe I would say in Sunningdale on the ninth or tenth hole, I hit the shot and went over the green and made a double bogey, and I was maybe leading the golf tournament, and I bladed it as I did, and. 
on top of it being embarrassing, and then they have to make double bokeh from less than 100 yards. Um, that's probably a shot. It, it was at Sunnydale. I just love that golf course. That's the only one that I can come up with right this second. Well, I'll, I'll give you one that we really enjoyed, uh, and we attribute this one to Jack Nicholas. It wasn't one of his shots. It was three of his opponent's shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, when Sandra Palmer chipped it in, you know, hold it out of a bunker in Las Vegas on the 18th hole, I'd lo- lose by one. And then um, Sandra Post chipped it in in a playoff in Wheeling, West Virginia. I remember that. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right. So last one, Donna. Okay. How would you like to be remembered? Oh. I loved every minute of the two jobs that I I really did. And I think I'm so blessed to have have had two great parents. Wish they had lived longer to see how successful both Janet and I were under their tutelage and um, our personalities and and our, our lifestyle and how, I mean, there isn't a day. In fact, my sister was just up in L.A. at the uh, cemetery where our parents are both buried. Call me when she was standing there, and I haven't been up there in probably 30 years. I know Janet probably the same thing. And we're both on the phone because do you think they know that we did okay, you know? Yeah. Because it was, they were young. I mean, Dad at 40. He had an aneurysm. My mother had breast cancer. Well, Donna, I can tell you one thing. Both Mike and I had a terrific time with you today. We really appreciate you taking the time and going into depth about the way you played the game and how much you loved it. And uh, I just want to personally say thank you, and I know Mike would like to say something too. Thank you. Well, we sure did. We appreciate you taking the time. More than anything, we appreciate you sharing your story with us and our listeners. I'm sure they're really going to enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thanks for being patient with me and hooking up the uh, the monitors. But anyway, you guys have a great and safe holidays, and uh, uh, I'm so pleased that you added me to your list. Thank you, Donna. Been great. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway. And it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle quite a way